This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. I'm going to just kind of review a little bit through the first couple, uh, first five chapters, and then we'll hit uh, the latter part of chapter six and see what God has for us today. Ephesians 1, we talked about this big idea of Jesus is more. And uh, one of the things that we talked about is this idea that many churches had this little Jesus syndrome. And I said the greatest sickness for any church can is, is a church that has the little Jesus syndrome where we stick Jesus in our pocket, we pull him out only in desperate times or in these situations we need him to intervene. Any other time, we just kind of keep him stuck in our pocket. He's kind of like a, a good luck charm or a rabbit's foot. And that's not the Jesus, the Bible. Jesus came to be Lord and Lord over everything. We talked about this idea of the cosmic Christ. And we see that in the latter part of Ephesians where it says that far above all, all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. And so we believe that God is, Jesus is the cosmic Christ. And we also talked about the next week, Matt, uh, Jeff talked about this idea that the church is made to do more, that we're created to be his workmanship that each of us have a unique calling in our lives to do his work. And then the uh, third week, we talked about this idea the church is made to love more. And we said when, when you're in perfect love, when you're in God's love, you have nothing to fear, you have nothing to hide, and nothing to prove. And then in, in chapter four, we talked about this idea that the church is made to do more. And we talked about how uh, the, just as the human body has systems that work together and you know, those break down, then the body breaks down. And we, we looked how the, the text lays out this, what we call apest, is, is apostle, uh, uh, um, apostle, teacher. Um, let me go back to it. Hold on, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, pastor, teacher. Um, and so when we, we see that, we, we see this idea that the body is made to really do all these things, to act on all these things. And without that, then the body is not fully functioning in all cylinders. And we, in lots of ways, we've elevated the teaching role and the shepherding role, but we and sometimes forget these other roles and how they're important as well. And then last week, we talked about this idea that the church is made to go more. And this idea that we talked about how we're made to walk in love. We're made to walk in light. We're made to walk in wisdom. And we have one of the greatest opportunities to do that when we really live out in Christ. And I think probably our greatest opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus is in this context of community. I think deep down, people are looking for Jesus and they don't even know it. And they look for it in all the things of the world. And we talked about how, last week, we talked about how we, we search for these things in the world, but in the end, they just leave you more and more empty. And so, again, it's so important to understand how we need to walk in light, walk in love, and walk in wisdom. And then today, uh, Paul wraps it all up with this whole idea of the whole armor of God. And hopefully I'm going to bring out some things that maybe you haven't seen before or a point of view that you haven't really seen it for, because I think many times we see this idea of the armor of God is, is this individual thing, but it's really this corporate picture of what God is trying to do uh, in the body of Christ. So let's read that. It's chapter 6, 10 through 20. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes your, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the, all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, in all prayer and supplication. To the end, uh, I'm sorry, to that end, keep alert with all uh, perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And just to follow up my correction, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Sorry about that, okay? Uh, sometimes I have a, a brain uh, hiccup in my, in my brain, so it works out like that. Um, you know, the big idea today is this. The church is made to win more. The church is made to win more. So I think Paul is what he's trying to say. He's trying to bring us full circle in this text from the very beginning in chapter one. I just read this, but I'm going to read it again because, again, it reminds us, us who we are in Christ and whom we belong to. Um, it says in verse 21 of chapter one, Far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. See, the enemy will do everything possible to thwart God's plan for more, mobilizing God's people doing it God's way, as described in Ephesians. But in Christ, we're called to win the battle. To do so, we must consecrate, if you will, gird our loins for Jesus, okay? We need to be prepared and missionally be on a mission of mindset. Individually, the enemy will attempt to hinder the fullness that is in us, restricting uh, the expression of the fullness carried by others. Corporately, when Paul speaks of the principalities of powers, he's really talking about the system of oppression that's influenced by demonic powers around us. So imagine if you've seen the movie, The Matrix, okay? Anybody, it's an oldie but goodie movie. It, it, it is a movie that really, in lots of ways, kind of describes this idea that we are in a war even though we cannot see it. And there's this scene in the movie where the main character is able to make a decision whether he wants to swallow one pill or the other. One, he can just kind of forget that it really happens. We talked about this last week. We can just kind of fall asleep. 
Okay? We can just think that this world really doesn't have meaning. There's no consequences to whatever decisions we make. And reality is there's a great cost to live like that. Remember I talked last week about trying to stay awake in the middle of the night driving. And why did I do that? I went to a great extreme to bring uncomfortable experience to me because if I fell asleep at the will, there was a great price to pay, right? And for us to be in Christ, to be the church and to fall asleep spiritually, there's a great cost. And so in this movie, he swallows the pill and his eyes are open that there's a whole other realm around us that we're in. And so the reality is Paul is reminding us that we live in a world at war. We live in a world at war. Um, whether we believe it or not, there are forces around us. Uh, there's rulers, authorities, principalities that the enemy is in control of, and he's trying to do everything he can to keep us confused, to keep us discouraged, to keep us from being ineffective for the kingdom of God. And he's going to do whatever he can to do that. And so it's really important for, for us to understand today's text because it really can derail us if, we don't, if we're not in the battle the right way. If we try to engage in warfare against something that is not flesh with things that are of flesh and blood, we're going to fight. Uh, we're not going to fight effectively. And if we pick up the tools that the enemy uses against us, like fear and intimidation and control, we're going to end up being a victim of that, if you will. We're going to be a casualty. I said probably a victim's not the right idea. We'll be a casualty of that war. And so understanding Today is not about a better strategy. It's about more surrender. Okay? It's about more surrender. And it's understanding who we are in Christ. And when we stand on who we are in Christ and who we belong to, then the battle is this almost this just living out what God has already put before us. Paul is asking us to address this really in this context of community. I know when you, when you literally read or when you break down the Greek, it's, it's this idea that most of the time we think of this as an individual, that someone's putting this armor on. But when, the, when you look at the Greek, it actually means this idea of community, okay? And it's this idea of, of working together arm in arm. And so it's this, really this idea that as a community of believers, we need to reframe the armor in this communal sense, a collective unbroken circle of God's people walking arm in arm. So understanding this, that if you have a brother or sister that is, that is battling and losing, it doesn't just affect them, it affects all of us because we are the body of Christ. And so just as I said earlier, if a, a part of the system from last week breaks down then it is not hitting all cylinders. It's true in the body here that we need to care about each other. We need to lock arms and we need to all strive and to have victory in this area. Let's go ahead and look at verse 10. And Paul talks about this, this idea. He says, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of whose might? His might, right? Not our might, Right? It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by the Spirit of God. He says, you will receive power when what? 
the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the power doesn't come from us. It comes from God Almighty. It comes from Jesus. It comes through His Spirit, right? So understanding this, <clears throat> Ephesians 1, I, I read that earlier where it talks about God is in all and through all and in all authority. See, just as Jesus faced the same battle when he was tempted, he was led into the desert before he started his ministry. He says he was tempted by the enemy. Do you remember the phrase the enemy used against Jesus? You see that in, in several of the Gospels. It says, if you are the son of God. See, I think the enemy wants to come after us, not just in activity, but he wants to come after us in identity. See, we need to understand that it is about our identity in Christ that's going to give us victory. It's not about our activity. And so understanding that our, when we understand our uh, identity, we will live out in activity. We will live it out. But it's not about activity. It's about our identity in Christ. And so just as you question just as the battle in the desert of temptation wasn't just about the activity level, but at the identity level, if you are the son of God, we are in Christ. And God has given us victory in his son. So 2 Corinthians talks a, a little bit about this and how we're to overcome this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Does that sound familiar, right? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have dominion, uh, or not of the flesh, but have, the, have dominion, power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience, or I'm sorry, when your obedience is complete. So I believe the battle is lost or won right here at the very beginning, right? Uh, the Bible says it's impop impossible to believe God. I mean, it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith be begins in the mind and it, it goes to the heart. So it's not just uh, I confess with my lips, but I, I live out with my heart, right? And so it's this two sides of one coin, but it's this idea of faith, this idea of, of understanding what you believe and why you believe it. So the, really the battle is this idea of the mind. I, I've said this many times before, but if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you begin to reap a lifestyle. If you sow a lifestyle, you reap a destiny, right? And so it's this idea that it begins with what our mind is thinking about. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So in other words, we need to understand our right thinking. We need to take every captive obedient to Christ. Uh, I, I give all our interns every summer uh, a book called Emotions, Can You Trust Them? It's a book by James Dobson. It's a great book if you ever get a chance. But many times we can be fooled by our emotions. We can be fooled by our thoughts. And so we need to take the word of God 
and say, okay, this thought that's coming into my mind, is it correct? Is it, is it truthful? Is it what God's word says about me and my circumstances, right? Um, and so understanding that's so important because in, in verse 11, we see where Paul tells us that the scheme of the devil or the scheme of the enemy, what is these schemes that he's trying to do? He's trying to remind us of our old life. We see in, in chapter 2 that he says, Paul says, We were dead in our sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work of disobedience. Paul's reminding us that's what we once were. We're not that. But the enemy wants to remind us that we're still that person. He wants to remind you that you're not changed anymore. You're not a new creation. He wants to tell you that you can never have victory. You're always going to live in defeat. These are the lies that the enemy whispers in our, in our mind. He whispers all around us. See, the Bible says that the enemy is a father of lies. He's accuser of the brethren. His kingdom is a kingdom of deception. And let me tell you something. Let me remind you. He is deceiving all the time. He's make, trying to make things look good. And then once you bite into that, the Bible describes it like a mouthful of gravel, right? It's sweet for a moment, and then it fades. And so I'll remind you that the enemy is coming to scheme. He's coming to, to tell you about your old self. See, he's trying to remind you that you're still a sinner, and before God, he, you're still accused, but in Christ, you're declared righteous. That's called justification. And he's trying to remind you that you're a sinner, and you stand before as a slave to sin, but in Christ, you are granted freedom by his ransom. That's called redemption. And enemy wants to remind, try to remind you that you're still dead in your sins and you stand before God as a debtor, but in Christ, the debt has been paid in full and you have been forgiven. That's forgiveness. It has been forgotten. And see, Satan wants to, remind, wants to try to bring up that you're still dead in your sins, before God is an enemy, but in Christ you are led into peace as a friend. That's called reconciliation. And the enemy wants to tell you you're still dead in your sins before God is a stranger, but in Christ you're adopted as a son or a daughter of God. That's called sonship, daughtership. You have the full reign and heir of the king. Mind him, if he reminds you of his your past, you remind the Satan of his future. See, every time the enemy comes, this is what he tries to get you to do. He tries to get you to question God's character and he tries to get you to suppress God's truth. And every time we fall for a lie of the enemy, that's exactly what happens. We say, God, you're not who you say you are. We don't trust you enough to follow you. And we don't believe what you're saying is true. And so understanding when the enemy comes, that's exactly what he's trying to get you to do. But Paul reminds us that we have to stand. What do we have to stand on? We have to stand on God's word. We have to stand in our identity in Christ. And so God wants us to operate out of a place of rest. Not striving because we're somehow trying to gain his favor. What does Jesus say to when he came here on earth? Whoever is heavy laden, right? Come and I will give you what? Rest. Rest from what? Resting from always trying to strive to be good enough. 
See, there's only two views you can view salvation. You can either view it as grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It, it is truly a gift of God. That is the only salvation. Everything else is based on works, and that's a lie. Because everything else is somehow trying to measure up, somehow trying to climb a ladder. It's called self-righteousness. It's called religiosity. It, it is not what Jesus came to proclaim. He proclaimed the free gift through what he did on the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection. See, rest, I believe, is the greatest need for most people in our culture because we're obsessed with busyness. We're obsessed with doing. And I, I, I promise you, I'm right there. I struggle. I have a very A-driven personality. You know those dispersonality profiles? You, you know, dominant, I'm up there, okay? It's like the check mark. It goes, shoop, okay? Uh, I'm there. And it's a struggle because I'm always trying to strive. Sometimes I just need a rest in Jesus. My wife did a great thing yesterday. She took her little lounge chair. She had a busy, very busy week. She went out in 30 minutes. She just sat out in the sun and said, don't mess with me. And told the kids, warn them, do not mess with me. I'm spending time with Jesus. She just rested. I'm like, I need to do that more often. I need to do that. I need to just rest in my identity in Christ. See, Christ wants us to minister out of a place of rest, knowing deeply our identity in him. And the healing and freedoms, freedom are essential to restoring a gospel-centered identity in God and people's souls. They can work from a place of rest. That's where we need to work from, this place of rest, our knowing our identity in Christ. In verse 14, it talks about this idea of a belt of truth. And this idea that, again, it's this idea of walking in truth in the community of, of, of believers, walking hand in hand, speaking love to each other, speaking truth to each other. It's this both grace and truth, right? It's this idea of loving uh, each other with an unconditional love. But we also need to understand <clears throat> there are obstacles. There are obstacles. I'm going to give you four obstacles that many of us struggle with in this idea of freedom and knowing our identity in Christ. The first one is source. <clears throat> it's this idea of a false source. In other words, if we find our source of identity in anything other than Christ, it's a problem. If we find that in as a spouse or our, our role at our job or our academic achievement, or our role in the community, and our status, if we find anything, our identity and anything, our value and worth in that, we've got it mixed up. I, I wrote a, a young man yesterday who is an ex, a friend of uh, a very close family that we know that ministers in Missouri. And I reminded him, this is, I wrote him a note. It's, it's a, a, a long text, but uh, I, wanna, I wanna read this to you because this is what I reminded him of, that he's 17. He's getting ready to spend the whole summer away from home. He's going to be working long hours at camp, doing all the grunt work, right? And this is what I reminded him of, this. One, Jesus has to be your one and only rock. That's it. Has to be your one and only rock. And I said, accept the fact that this summer is going to be hard. 
Accept the fact that we're in a battle. It will be hard because you will desperately miss your family, especially your mom and dad. You will have difficult relationships to navigate with other people. You will have physical challenges of strength and energy and health. God will be teaching you that he and he alone should be your source of strength, guidance, and comfort. God is the source of your life. Everything else are gifts, including your own family. So we got to remind ourselves there's only one source of life. That's Jesus. He's our identity. And the second thing is this obstacle that can happen is this idea of self. And listen, you are valuable. You're you're made in the very image of God, the imago Dei. And you should value life. We should all value life. You should value your own life. And we want you to think highly of yourself to a point, right? So there is, there is, the Bible says, love your neighbor, what? As yourself. So that means if we're going to love people well, that means we have to love ourselves, right? I'm not talking about a self-help, new age love. I'm talking about a biblical love, okay? Proper self. Understand we're, we're jacked up, we're broken, we are in need of redemption and salvation. But God gave his one and only gift, his son, to us. So because of that, we need to have a proper view of self. The third thing, when it becomes, I'm starting to say, when that self is out of order and we elevate ourselves above everything else, that's when it becomes an obstacle. Third thing is Satan himself and his demonic force can derail us, and we believe those lies. We believe the tricks of the enemy, the schemes. The fourth thing is this idea of sickness. And when I say that, please don't read into that. I'm saying that if you're sick, then somehow you're. Uh, obstacle to freedom. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this idea of, if you will, emotional health. Um, this idea of, of truly living out how God wants us to be. That, if you will, the word disease is dis-ease, meaning something's not right. Right? It, I mentioned this last week or maybe the week before, is that as Jesus or as God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, right? They were delivered from the bondage of sin. But guess what? It took the rest of the 40 years, right, for, for God to get the Egypt out of them. So we need to understand that how we react based on relationships, maybe family patterns of the past, maybe things that we're, I, I read this great or began to read this great book called Emotionally, uh, Spiritually Healthy Person. And this guy was talking about how this idea of many times because of our wounds in our life, we haven't been healed from those wounds. But we haven't been healed through Christ. And therefore, when we hit those bumps in the road, those crises, we return right back to that old wound. And we begin to live out this emotionally unhealthy lifestyle. It's like we return back to that old thing because we truly haven't been healed yet. We haven't truly been freed from those things. So understanding in Christ these are the things we get. We get truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We get righteousness. We get peace. We get faith. We get salvation. And we get spirit. See, when we as a community act in faith toward God and each other, and when we stand firm, arm in arm together, and demonstrate faithfulness and loyalty to God and to each other, it acts as defense to deflect the fiery arrows of the enemy. The shield 
in those days was covered with a thick leather and it was soaked in water. And so when that arrow hit that, not only did it keep from protection of the skin and the body, but it actually quenched the arrow, right? Are we soaked in prayer? Are we soaked in God's word? So when those enemy lies come at us, they're distinguished. And we, if you will, were a fortified force around us, prayed up in God's word, understanding our identity in Christ. This is what Christ has given us. These last two pieces of the armor are the only two offensive weapons. Verse 17 and 18, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit in all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. By the way, he talked about the saints there, right? So saints, that means you're a saint who happens to struggle with sin. No longer dead in your sins, okay? But he's talking about this idea of the sword of the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And listen, it's not just, it's not a noun, it's a verb. It's living and active. It's able to teach and correct and train us in righteousness. Uh, As I said the same thing to this young man yesterday, I said, gird your loins, you're in a spiritual battle. Gird your loins means to prepare and strengthen oneself for what is to come. There will be multiple times you will not want to finish the summer, but you must never give up. Never, never give up. Never, never give up. Stay in the word daily. Have an ongoing conversation with God every day, all day, and listen for God's voice. Righteous men do fall like everyone else, but they get up and walk toward God. Stay in the fight. And I want to remind us that we're going to falter. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. But righteous men and women get up and walk toward God. Paul is reminding us we don't just do that as individuals. We do this as corporate believers, as the body of Christ. And pray in the Spirit is shown when the community of believers engages together in God's word and prays for guidance in their lives. It provides the best offensive strategy toward off the tax of the evil one. I think it's really important to understand that we need to desperately pray. And then I reminded him of this last thing, and I want to remind us of this. Practice the gospel with yourself and with others. See, when you pray for one another, it's hard to stay bitter toward each other, isn't it? It's hard to stay angry. It's hard to hold unforgiveness. A guy told me over a decade ago, probably about 13 years ago, one of the most powerful but simple things. He said, pray with your wife every day. Why? Because if I'm praying for her, I can't hold a grudge. If I'm praying for her, I can't hold unforgiveness. Why? Because the spirit of the living God will prick my heart and break me and cause me to repent of that. So understanding that we need to pray together. If we pray together, we're going to practice the gospel 
together. We're going to forgive each other. We're going to extend forgiveness, ask forgiveness. And it would, we would be amiss this morning if I didn't take a moment to do just that, to pray for one another this morning. So we're going to do something a little different. I'm kind of doing this a little impromptu, but if the band wants to get up and play a little bit, I want to spend some time in prayer this morning. This is what I want to do. It's going to take some courage this morning. I want you to know that because uh, I, the only way to pray for each other, the only way to know how to pray for one another is to be vulnerable with one another, to, to, to experience that. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling with uh, an illness, it doesn't have to be terminal, but if it was something that you're just struggling, it's a, maybe a, a, a you know, back issue or, uh, or, or some type of chronic thing that you're struggling with, We'd like to pray for you. So what we'd like to do is if you can go ahead and stand. If you're, if you're dealing with some kind of physical ailment, go ahead and just stand. You're struggling, okay? Just stand, okay? And if you're here this morning and um, you're struggling just um, maybe in your daily walk with the Lord, just staying consistent, okay? Just staying consistent, just in the word daily, okay? Having victory, we talked about. Would you stand? Would you stand? Okay. Okay. This is what I want to do. I want you to turn to one another. I want you to gather around people. Now, you may need to be the one to pray. You said, I need to be prayer, right? A lot of you have stood. And the others would say, well, I'm setting, I have other areas of struggles, but not those particular two. Would you gather around each other? We just group and form little groups, three to five to 10, whatever it is. We do that right now. Father in heaven, God, we are so grateful for your goodness. God, help us to be a praying people. God, I know... I need to be desperately in prayer for you more and more every day. God, not just when things are hard, not just when I'm facing a trial or a temptation or not just when there's a bump in the road, not just when there's a crisis, not just when I want you to do something and check off my list. God, just to crawl up in my daddy's lap. Say, Abba, Papa, Daddy. Oh, God, teach us to pray. Teach us to be desperate for you. God, I don't believe anything significant, eternal is going to happen apart from our desperation and prayer to you. God, you know in this room there are financial needs. God, there are emotional needs. There are physical needs. God, there are people in crisis in this room. God, we have other people that couldn't make it today. I, I want to pray for Stacy Shepherd, who is struggling to hold on to life. God, you're the great healer. You're the great physician. 
God, would you touch her? Would you comfort Mike and Sarah, her family? God, would you be with my mom who had to be admitted last night because of her heart? God, would you heal her, give wisdom to the doctors and nurses? God, our students are leaving for a week to camp, God. And all the excitement, that's great. But God, we just want you to do something incredible in the hearts and minds of our students and leaders. God, every great movement that we've ever seen in humankind have involved students, young people. God, would you do it in this place? This summer, God, we're going to minister to our community through Collide, Caroline. We're serving our community. God, would you give us relationships to be able to extend your kingdom? God, let us find favor, not for a reputation, but God, for that your kingdom may be advanced, the weight of the gospel may be given, and God, that we would see a great harvest for you. God, God, we're, our routines changed in the summer, and God, it's hard for many of us, but God, I, I pray that we would maybe find our purpose this summer, find our mission this summer, God, that we may be used in such a way, but God, that we know that we are working as your hands and your feet. God, I, I can tell you as a pastor, it's a beautiful, beautiful music to hear the people praying. God, would you teach us to do this more often? Would you teach us to do it corporately and individually? God, we are in desperation for you. God, do what only you can do today, this morning. God, as we close out this time, we want to give an opportunity for people to come and pray and be prayed for. If you're struggling and you're struggling to experience victory and freedom in Christ and knowing who you are in Christ and whom you belong to, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. If you have another need or you want to know about our, more about our church or you want to follow through with Believer's Baptism, we'll be up here and we'll ask you to come and allow us to help you. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing. God, would you continue to do what you do and God, help us to rest in you and to be obedient to your voice. In Jesus' name. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.